This is Fantasia Book Talk, diving into the mythical world of A Court of Thorns and Roses, where immortal creatures stalk the shadows, predators prowl, and where Feyre Archeron is sentenced to spend the rest of her life. Joining us today are Britt Weed and Jen Smith, two avid readers and good friends of mine. Trigger warning. This episode will dive in heavy topics such as sexual assault and sexism. Let's just give a quick rundown of how this episode and future ones are going to go. Season one will be dedicated to A Court of Thorns and Roses, um, with each episode a different topic. Since there's so much to this world, we want to give each topic a fair amount of time, since each issue we discuss is important in its own right. Today's first episode talks about toxic masculinity uh, within the series, starting with book one. All right, so... Jen and Britt, uh, would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, hi, I'm Jen. Um, my favorite book is Vicious by Victoria Schwab. Um, I started reading when I was eight years old, and how I got introduced to the series was Instagram was hyping it up like no tomorrow. Hello, my favorite book is The Shadowhunter Chronicles. I started reading when I was like fourth grade, and yeah, pretty much Instagram. Everyone just talked about it. Yeah. So, like, do you remember, like, what they said about this series that, like, really, really struck you guys? Or, like, okay, like, I'll just read it because what the fuck is this hype about? Um, they mostly just said it was, like, a really good fantasy. They didn't tell me anything about the smut, any of the romance, or I wouldn't have picked it up. Yeah? I remember exactly what got me interested. It's because I saw, like, the fandom engaging and, like, how it was, like, a little thing and I wanted to understand like what everyone was talking about and I wanted to be a part you know yeah I honestly for me I knew I was gonna be hate reading this from the start <laughs> um because it was actually read with Cindy's Akatar videos that got me interested I think I started out with I watched them like backwards mm-hmm. it started with the court of wings and ruin I like the war, she was like, take a shot every time they say mate. So I watched that one and I was like, okay, this is funny. And then I rewatched, or I'm sorry, then I watched the first Akatar and then the Akimath one. And then I was like, you know what? Son of a bitch. I'm gonna do it. Well, mm. actually, you're the one who read it first. Oh god, and can we not bring up my you told me to read it. <laughs> you told me to read it. Fan status. And then we read it together and yeah. Wait, you were a fan at one point? No! She, it's what kind of got me into, like... It's my best kept secret. <laughs> she literally was like, oh my god, like, I kind of like it. And I'm like... No! Okay, so I'll try it. In my defense, I had gone on a reading hiatus for, like, four years, all of high school. And then I started looking for books to get me back into reading. And people were like, read this one. Like, read it. And so I was just, I just flew through it because I hadn't read in so long. And I was just, like, not critically consuming. I was just passively reading. Well, no, a lot So I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is great. <laughs> like, lot, fantasy book, yay. <laughs> a lot of people do say that. They say it's the thing that got them back into reading, fantasy. But what they, they don't, like, market it as fantasy romance. Thank yeah. God that's not the thing that got me back into fantasy. But if it, it was one of the first. If it oh was God. marketed as fantasy romance, there would have been no chance I would have touched that. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I think the way that it's marketed versus the way it's actually portrayed are just mm-hmm. totally different things. And I think, like, like, you go into it thinking it's this Beauty and the Beast retelling and that it's actually, like, going to be really interesting and then 
you get to it, and it's literally Pharaoh. Yeah, like, disappointment. Yeah, it's literally Pharaoh running from a giant worm. <laughs> <laughs> and a Beauty and the Beast retelling, like, can they really claim that title? Yeah, no, I, I don't really think they can. Like, because, like, let's be honest, and at least in Beauty and the Beast, like, the prince, like, turns back a new human. Tamlin yeah. is just, like, ooh, ooh I'm a bear. <laughs> like, the whole time. They're little masks. Yeah, they're little masks. He never ceases to be a furry because he shapeshifts. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. It's kind of like a... Isn't it kind of like a running joke that Tamlin's just a furry? Yeah. Yes. Yeah? That's so funny. <laughs> okay. I think it was just like the inside jokes they had, so I was like, okay, so let's try it. Yeah? Yeah, and I knew the inside jokes and I didn't want to be a part anymore. I mean, let's be honest, can we just say Sarah J. Mass herself is a furry? I mean... I mean, yes, because there's interview proof. There is interview proof! There yes. is, yeah. Yeah, where she was like... She was like, um... I like, uh, primal. Animalistic sex. <laughs> Why don't we start with a summary of what A Court of Thorns and Roses is. Alright. A Court of Thorns and Roses starts when Feyre Archeron, who is, I think, 19, shoots a wolf because she wants to sell its pelt to feed her family. Like, they used to be fucking rich, and then her dad, like, I don't know, went bankrupt. His, like, business fell through or something. Yeah. Something about loan sharks. Like yeah. That. Yeah, and then they, like, started living in a fucking shack. <laughs> like... Okay, so once she shoots the wolf, once that happens, um, Tamlin comes in. He goes, murder! <laughs> <laughs> like a dog. He literally is the epitome of my dog, Sarge, <laughs> when he sees a leaf outside. He says that three times, just like that. Yeah. Like, murderer! And you have to be like, what did you say? And he's like, murderer! Oh, murderer! Like... So, of course, all of them are scared, hiding, whatever. And he's like, well, I take you now. <laughs> yeah, so, like, he tells Feyre, he's like, because you killed this wolf... Well, we also didn't specify, the wolf is actually one of, like, Tamlin's Tam people. His people. Feyre killed one of his people. One of his furry friends. Yeah, one of his furry besties. And tells her, because of the fact that you killed my bestie, you have to come with me to the fairy realms. His exact quote, I will gut you or you can go to Prithian with me and live forever. It's hard to read it and just see all the problems in it, even if you're not trying to criticize Even it. when I wasn't critically consuming it, I was like, oof, Tamlin, red flags. Like, Yeah. In this series, there are three more books and one novella. Following the series is A Court of Mist and Fury, A Court of Wings and Ruin, A Court of Frost and Starlight, and A Court of Silver Flames. With these books, so much happens in them, considering each one is 600 plus pages long. How does toxic masculinity plague this series? Well, there are a variety of instances where that occurs. The first one, which we will get into more of later down the line when we talk about Resan, is um, in A Court of Silver Flames, spoiler alert if you hadn't read it, uh, Rhysand doesn't tell Feyre, who at this point is his wife and his mate, that the, her pregnancy is fatal. Um, and when Nesta, who is, uh, her sister. yes, uh, tells Feyre this in a spurt of anger, Rhysand gets so upset with Nesta to the point that he wants to physically harm her and threatens her to leave Alaris or he'll kill her. The pissing contest between Rhysand and Tamlin and, uh, pissing contest 2.0. Between Cassie and Azriel and Resand. Um, Cassie and Azriel. 
are, um, they call them brothers. They're not actually brothers. They're just his best buds. Yeah, they're friends like, he grew up with. Yeah, <laughs> like besties. Um, and kind of like the, the running kind of like joke there is like, who has the biggest wingspan? Which they're not actually talking about their wingspan. Because I should also mention that all of these fuckers have wings. At least Cassie and Israel and Rhysand, they have wings. They're always in competition with each it's other. It's their tradition. Yeah, their tradition. Sure. That is some, a little bit of toxic masculinity. But we're going to get more into it in depth, specifically in the first book. At least right now, we'll get into the later books further on in the episode. Let's talk about the Tamlin effect. Um, the Tamlin effect is basically... When someone starts off as the love interest but turns into the antagonist to elevate another character. So in this case, Tamlin becomes the antagonist in Aquartimus and Fury and so on further down the line, just to make Rhysand more appealing to the audience. Rhysand's the reverse Tamlin effect. I kind of hate that she did the Tamlin effect because I found Rhysand more intriguing as a bad guy, like as a villain. Yeah. 100%. Because like that's what he started as, that's what he still is, like... Yeah, he should just went with it. He definitely would have been more interesting as a villain, especially his actions throughout the whole books. It would have explained a lot. It would have yeah. been much better than painting him as like this ideal love interest, as the yeah. savior kind of. Yeah, like I think if he had a plan of, I don't know, like say for example, to take over all of Prithian, right? Yep. Um, or to kind of do what Highburn did or wanted to do, and you know, take over Prithian. Yeah. And if he in turn took over Prithian, and then was like, haha, I'm gonna take over Highburn. Like, kind of had this, like, superiority complex in that way some villains do. It would have made him, I think, a lot more interesting, for sure. Definitely Even in a way, she could have spun this in a way that recent was her love, like, the love interest for a time. Like, he could manipulate her for her powers, and then screw her over later, and it still would have been, like, they had a love interest, period. Yeah. yeah. And it still would have made more sense than him being like, oh my god, this is my mate. Like, I'm a great guy now. I mean, yeah. he. it could have still been the whole mate thing. It could have just been... Oh, look, my toxic mate that, like, yeah. Yeah. I should have no part of. Yeah, or even, like, it could, even if we wanted to kind of spin it more... Like, Feyre totally could have just been turned into an antagonist herself, I think. Yeah, Rhysand yeah, could have. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, like, the opposite of a character arc, right? Like, the character downfall, you know? Like, Tamlin still could have had his whole outburst and everything, but Rhysand could have had more of the outburst. Not even. Tamlin becoming such a crap person could have contributed to, like, Feyre's deterioration yep, as a character. Yep, corruption. yeah. Because she would have been like, look at what he did to me. I mean, she technically kind of did that in A Court of Wings Room when she, like, decided to destroy the Spring Court. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, um, and I'm not saying this in kind of, like, an exaggerated way, like, I, for the audience's purpose, I uh, infiltrated the Akatar fan group on Facebook. It has, like, 10,000 meme members on it. It's fucking crazy. But, um... A lot of people there actually think, like, um, in some way, Feyre doing, like, ruining the Spring Court, um, was in some fashion, like, a type of feminist, like, ha, got my abuser moment. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. I think it was revenge, plain and simple, and, like, yeah. good for you. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was revenge. It wasn't yeah. a whole feminist yeah. movement. Even from her thoughts, though, it was never about, like, doing what was right. She literally upended a whole court. It was literally just about her She wanted to her watch moment. essentially the spring court burn. In my opinion, I think that's fine. Like, 
I mean, I only think it's fine in the essence of, like, the antagonist perspective. Yep. Um, <laughs> like, a hero wouldn't do that. And no. if they want to be described as heroes, babe, not only did you ruin the spring court, you doomed all of the people that live there. So it's like... Not only that, a lot of them were just regular fae citizens. Yeah, they were. Not even that, they were like very oppressed citizens because yeah. Camlin had such a high tithe that they had to pay to live there. Yeah. yeah. You went and destroyed this place, so like, you just made their lives a whole of a lot worse. That could have also... And Feyre giving one poor woman a pearl necklace does not like... Be like, okay, see, I ruined your home. Yeah, here's yeah. a necklace. Yeah, like, this yeah. is better now because you couldn't pay a tithe. Yeah. She's completely rich, but we never see her. If she's a hero, she's gonna hand out money. Like, she's gonna feel bad about them. She's gonna hand out money. You she, think she would use her wealth for good? Yeah, she doesn't of, even use it. Just like hoarding her privilege. She doesn't even I use mean, it for Nesta. When yeah, she's no. in such a deep place, she doesn't give her any warm welcoming. Yeah, or no. nothing. Not even that. Once she become, once Nesta becomes such a burden, she cuts off all her financial help. Yeah, because it's like, oh, she just spends it all on alcohol. But it's like, you guys, like, you guys are pretty ridiculous. Okay, but what about the rent they were supposedly paying that they cut off? Like, is she supposed to live in the street because you're tired of her? Yeah. Yeah, and they essentially kind of just lock her away because they don't want to deal with her. Yeah, that's why. In a and I'm sorry, like... In the novella, I don't remember the fucking name of that snooze fast, but <laughs> in the novella, at the very end, I was, like, so angry. Like, I felt like they're the fucking antagonist right now. Like, these are the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, like, Sarah Jamas, like, had this, tried her hardest to, like, make Rhysand and this whole group of people, his inner circle, if you will, um, like, the heroes here, but they were so far from it. Um... And it's also, like, what I was going to say in terms of, like, Feyre not helping the poor. It's, like, someone who is born in privilege will never know what it's like to be poor, even if they themselves go through it. Yeah. Because they remember what it's like to be privileged and they want to get that back for themselves. They won't want to give back to their community. Right? So in this instance, Feyre is not going to help the people of the Spring Court because she doesn't give a fuck about Well, that's them. exactly why she likes Rhysand's court because he doesn't give his people anything. No, yeah, he's very selfish with his privilege because he was also born in privilege. Yeah, exactly. He exactly. doesn't give his people anything. If yeah. they're struggling, he just lets them struggle. Yeah. Let's also not forget that his excuse or his only way of helping them are, like, all of the priestess who survived sexual assault, he literally puts them in a, a fucking in a li library. Yeah. It makes so they don't have to be near men. That's his excuse. Yeah. Like, oh, here's your sacred library. Yeah, like, what the fuck? And they're just, like, bound there. But aren't men still allowed inside, or no? Yes. He still goes in Not there. only that, Rhysand violated the actual space that he made for them by trying to tempt Feyre into sex within the library. Yeah. As their sexual yeah. assault victims. <gasps> yeah! No, I remember that. Yeah, okay. So, how does the Tamlin effect happen in, in the series? I know we were just talking about Rhysand for a second. But just to kind of talk about Tamlin real quick, and so we can get back to Rhysand. Um, so, essentially, Tamlin, he, he's perceived as the good guy. I mean, through his actions, you can definitely tell he's not the good guy. Whether he's abusing her, yelling at her, all kinds of stuff to her. Um, and she finally gets fed up with it and kind of runs off with Rhysand a little. Yeah. And he just, he blows up about it. Yeah. And it, how did that happen exactly? Like... Tamlin de deteriorated as a character 
due to supposed trauma, but, yeah. like, it's never explored, it's never shown, it's never stated what the trauma is. Yeah. And he just becomes abusive because of this supposed trauma that you're supposed to believe he has. Yeah. And it's never shown. Yeah. And he just makes his actions even worse. He, he kind of drives her off through his actions. Yeah. Because of so-called reasons. And then he wonders why she leaves. Yeah. And how did Faye leave? During their wedding, she begged for Rhysand to come save <laughs> yeah, her. Yeah, she begged another man to literally come save her. And yeah. he came and whisked her away. Imagine being so terrible that your wife literally begs for another man to come take her away. To leave you at the <laughs> altar. Yeah. No, for real. Like, And that's, that's essentially where the pissing contest between Tamlin and Rhysand, really, you can see that they started it. It accumulated at that point it but like, did yeah i feel like even in book one like it was there because like as soon know. as Amarantha, see- like orders him to come check on them for some fucking reason okay. and like even then he's like like i can report this like i have all the power tamlin like yeah he's like holding- i see you have another plate here i can tell her you have people here yeah. like like he's still hoarding like his pissing contest like he's oh still i'm better that i have more, more power. power yeah yeah it's so Ugh, God. Um, <laughs> so, because Tamlin has this trauma, right? Do you think that that's a realistic thing? Like, p- do people's trauma can that turn them into abusers? I mean, it depends on the trauma, really. Like, we never even see what kind of trauma he has. Yeah. Like, if it's like his parents abused him, like I can definitely see where that's coming from. Yeah, like and the misogyny. It's, yeah, it's likely for it to happen, but. Without the context of any trauma happening, we can't really say it's good cause for anything. I mean, yeah, I think in general it could have, like, realistically, based on the person he already was, depending on what the trauma was, I could see him escalating to that point, but, like, because we're never told what he's going through, you're just kind of like, what the fuck is he doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like out of nowhere. You're yeah. just seeing him essentially go off the deep end. It's one thing for it, for, I don't know, in this instance, Sarah J. Mass, we're going to say for the author to tell the readers, because let's be honest, um, the author is communicating with the readers through the words that's put onto the page. So in this instance, Sarah J. Mass basically tells us, oh, it's because he was traumatized, but like... She's doing more telling than showing. Exactly. Um, and it's problematic because like... There's no, I think if there was a conversation between Feyre and Tamlin where Tamlin is telling her how upset he is mm-hmm. about what happened under the mountain and how awful he feels about what happened to Feyre and, like, did you even want to become High Fey? Like, if he had that conversation with her, like, you know, if there was that type of conversation, then We could have had more, we could have had sympathy for him. Not yeah. only that, it was pretty... Like, it was an immediate change. Exactly. Because I remember there was this one scene in the very beginning of the second book, and she's, like, having nightmares about what happened and stuff, so she gets up and she throws up in the night, and she know like, she's like, I know Tamlin's awake, like, I know he hears me, and he just sits in the bed and ignores me, he yeah. doesn't comfort me. he does, And it's yeah. like, well, why couldn't he just do the basic ability of, like, coming and holding your hair back and comforting her because she got sick? Like, yeah, or like, 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 why, like, what happened? Like, t- like, tell me about your nightmares. Like, yeah. no, not nothing. Not even the basic, hey, like, are you okay? No, and his back's turned. Yeah. Yeah, it's like immediate once they get yeah, back. Yeah, it's very quickly that he wants to shut all of that down and he wants to forget that even happened. Yeah. Um, which is kind of weird if you think about it because 
If none of that happened, Feyre wouldn't have come to the Spring Court at all. No. The only reason why he has Feyre at all is because of the fact that Amarantha cursed him. If that never even existed, Tamil would be alone, still. And even after the curse is broken, like, it just gets worse from there, It right? does, yeah. Yeah. Um, it also makes me wonder, like, and this, frankly, is just poor writing on Sarah J. Mass's part, if this is the truth, it just makes me wonder if throughout the entirety of the first book, he never even felt anything for her. He was just manipulating her, right? Yeah. He used her to break the curse. Maybe he, yeah. like, hated that he was under her power. Yeah. Kind of, like, she had the power because she could break the curse by saying, I love you. Yeah. And he didn't, like the power a woman held over him. He pretended to fall in love with her in that instance because it would help break the curse. And then after, you know, they're supposedly falling in love with each other, he then could be like, okay, yeah, no, now I can treat you like shit. Yeah. Um, and it would be nice to know if that was the case, but Sarah J. Mass just never gave us that type of information. So we can only assume that that is what the behavior was. Um, we can only guess at that, but we will never know the truth. Not even that. It kind of seemed like after the curse was broken, in a way, he kind of did discard her. He just locks her up in the home. Yeah, he just He doesn't of... treat her in a way that displays that he would love her. He just threw her so away. So it's almost yeah. like he's like, you've served your purpose. Get out of the way. Yeah, no, for real. Because remember when Feyre was like, well, I want to be your high lady, because there's no such thing as high yeah, lady. Yeah, and he just yeah. misses it. Just like that. Yeah. So, oh man, what a douchebag. So, how was Tamlin then portrayed in the rest of the series? After Feyre escaped from him, went to the night court with Rhysand, how was he portrayed then afterward? He's, he's portrayed as the villain. Yeah, he's portrayed as the worst guy around, according to all the other characters, but yet Sarah J. Mass is still painting a light on him. Like, oh, well, maybe he's not that bad of a guy. Like, like he's traumatized. It's going back and forth of... He has trauma, so feel bad for him. Kind of like she does with Rhysand. But then she's also saying, well, he's doing A, B, and C. He was an abuser. He treated Pharaoh yeah. like garbage. He's a bad yeah. person. She, kept, she keeps, like, bringing but up what But he's a happens. bad person, but you should feel sorry for him because yeah. he's traumatized. Yeah, and then there's also the, uh... Oh, what is it? There's also, the, of course, him siding with Highburn. All because, yeah. oh, I just want Pharaoh back. Like... It didn't seem like you cared that much to begin with. Exactly. So, so what do you mean you want it's her like back? It's like he went back and forth. Like, at some points he wanted her, maybe just to use. Honestly, maybe it was like an ownership kind of deal. Yeah. Like, he, once she was gone, he was like, well, my property. Like, I have to have her back. Yeah. yeah and I think that correlates into Resand too. Yeah. And it also correlates into this, like, um, idea of, like, maybe now, because he knows what it's like to have somebody by his side, he wants that back. Even if he doesn't actually love Feyre, he likes the idea of being a Feyre. He likes, likes the attention. The, yeah, and he, he likes the attention she yeah. puts on him. Yeah, and he doesn't like to be alone yeah. either. I think that's another thing. Because I think also, at that point, he only had Lucian. I honestly think all of his servants and shit, like in Akamath, like left. Yeah, they did. Yeah. The only person he had was Lucian, and Lucian was kind of forced there. Yeah, Lucian didn't even want to be there. No. No, poor Lucian just continued to put up with his bullshit. Yeah, and I think it was because he couldn't go back to the Autumn Court, right? Like, yeah, no, I'm yeah. pretty sure his father, like, cast him out. His, his father, and then well, his brother was, like, Yeah, an so, like, to him. somebody tried to kill him, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so he was, like, oh, I'm fucking stuck here, I guess. So we kind of touched on this earlier. Like, how does Feyre get revenge on Tamlin in Akawar for abusing her? Like, we talked about it lightly, how she destroys the Spring Court in... Uh, purpose of revenge, but how does she do that? She purposely undermines his rule 
yeah. any plans that he makes, she tries to make them fall apart. I remember yeah. that. She yeah. essentially she, acts, she, she like acts fake and like goes under kind of cover. Yeah, yeah. and, and she. I remember there was like this one part because of I don't remember her name. Iantha. Yeah, her. And I remember because she was trying to take some kind of power in the court. She, like, casts herself as, like, the chosen one in the yeah. court. Yeah, So that, like, all the people would, like, be like, no, like, her. Yeah. And then Feyre undermines that completely also. Because I think what it was is... Because she has, like, the fucking power from the day court. Because yeah. she, like, makes the sunshine shine on herself. On herself. Yeah. And then everyone is like, Feyre! She's the, the chosen important yeah. one. Yeah, and Iantha's like, oh, fuck. I'm, you know, fuck yeah. me, I guess. I also think... What's interesting, <laughs> the, one of the moments in the book is kind of favorite takes the toxic masculinity and kind of weaponizes it in a way. Um, and this isn't like in terms of complimenting Farah because like I said, she has a lot of issues too, such as the fact that she has no personality. But um, like, do you guys remember when she is like flirting with Lucian and Tamlin walks in on it? Yeah, yeah she's she like, uses Lucian as like. Oh yeah, she uses him kind of like a it was toy. Like yeah, she yeah, it's like a toy. Yeah. yeah, she like uses him on purpose because she always like keeps like trying to flirt with him and everything, and he's like, "What are you doing? Like, yeah. stop yeah. doing this. Stop putting me in the middle." Yeah, and she's like, "Oh well, it's just for fun. Like, I just like to see like, him it wasn't get mad. Intentional." Yeah. Like, we were just talking. Like, he's overprotective. Like, he's territorial. Yeah, she like manipulates him into thinking like. It's nothing, even though he knows it's something. Yeah. Yeah. I just, like, I don't... I don't really think that that is, like, the big feminist gotcha moment that a lot of, of the Akatar stands think it I is. I feel like she's more morally gray. Like, she does things on her own term. Well, yeah. Like, morally black. <laughs> like, <laughs> nah, it's just so dark. Yeah. Um, she acts innocent until, like, somebody comes to save her. And then when nobody's around, she manipulates them into thinking, like, oh, well, you don't need anybody, and she manipulates them. Yeah, no, facts. I also, like, it's very, actually, like, extremely smart of Feyre to do that. Because, yeah, it is. Because, like... Especially with Tamlin, manipulating yeah. him into thinking she wants to come back, and then... She wants to immediately sleep with Lucian. revenge done. Yeah, and that she wants to sleep with Lucian, especially because she's playing on that ownership ideology that Tamlin has. Yeah, yeah, like, like, oh, she belongs to me. She can't be talking to him, like, liking him like that. Yeah. Like, she's mine. Yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting that, like, we bring that up. Um, and Lucian's, like, a part of his court, but he still thinks of him as lower than him. Yeah. Yeah, like... He, he doesn't see him as an equal, like no. he should. But he almost kind of, like, his position in the court is almost said to kind of be, like, almost equal, but he still treats him as kind of, like, a servant, as, like, less than him. mm yeah, it's honestly problematic entirely. He treats him, like, terrible. He just gives him everything he doesn't want to do. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, well, this is your job. Like, Yeah, every time Lucian has feelings about it, he tells him basically, get over it. You're not supposed to have feelings. You're supposed to do what I want. Yeah, like, no wonder why Lucian no, left. No, not even that. I remember in, like, the very beginning of Akatar when, like, Lucian had feelings about Feyre being there because, like, he was friends with the dude that was murdered. Like, Tamlin's like, like, oh, shut up, like, get over it. And he just, yeah. like, disrespects him. Yeah, and do you also remember in A Court of Mist and Fury, like, I think, I think she was with Azriel when this happened, where Lucian and a couple of the Spring Court people show up to try to bring her back, and they're, like, in the woods somewhere, and Feyre's like, no. 
and <laughs> because Tamlin didn't want to go by himself to get her. Yeah. But I also think he wasn't allowed over in the Night Court anyway. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just like another example how he makes literally Tam. Uh, yeah, he sent Lucian on his fetch quest. Yes. He always sends Lucian on everything. He doesn't go himself. Like, yeah. He's too much of a coward to actually step on the land and be like, But if it's like, if that's mine. your mate that needs rescuing so much, why did you send a so-called underling to go get her? Yeah, no facts. He always sends Lucian to send messages, get her, anything. Like, at this point, Lucian runs the spring court. <laughs> at this point, Literally, yeah. just give it over, cause. Yeah. How did you guys feel about Feyre kind of, like, destroying the spring court and undermining Tamlin's rule of his people? I'm not gonna lie, Tamlin pissed me off, so my first reaction was like, yes, girl! <laughs> yeah, no, but, like, same. Like, literally... Um, she deserved the revenge that she got. It's yeah. just it's put shitty her how it went. Hell. So, like, if it had something that was, like, isolated to Tamlin, I would have been like, yes, I, I feel him. like she should have taken yeah. it more personal. Like, if she burned down Tamlin's house or something, like, that would be good. Yeah. Yeah, that would have <laughs> been hilarious. Like, that would be Like, something personal would have been a whole yeah. lot more impactful than destroying everybody's home. Yeah. Now there's people without homes while you're yeah, sitting like, in a nice little cozy house. Like, now they're gonna have to try to find another court to take them in because of all the damage she's done to theirs. And exactly. they're massive it, amounts of money to be there. Exactly. She made Tamlin go fucking feral so that he can't even, like, take care of his people anymore. No. Not that he was doing a good job to begin with, because he wasn't, but, like... But it lacks even more. Yeah, but it's... He's out of control. The quality of their living has just gone from poor to, like, abysmal. Let's move on to... From Tamlin, and let's talk in general about alpha males. So, um... There is this article, um, somebody wrote on Tumblr. Uh, the user is Howell's Moving Library. They have this really, really, really good point about alpha males that I wanted to bring up because it has... It actually ties in with Resand. Um, and his whole gang perfectly. So this is what uh, this person had to say. On the one hand, romance is written by and aimed almost exclusively at women. It is the genre where female desire, which is often suppressed or demonized in society and popular media, can be freely indulged and explored. Women are writing these kinds of relationships and other women are buying them, so clearly some kind of female desire is being acknowledged and explored, whereas before it would have been suppressed or even punished. On the other hand, it often tends to be explored in some quite squicky ways. Never heard the word squicky before. Um, because romance has roots in the Byronic heroes of Mr. Darcy, Mr. Rochester, and for some reason I still can't fathom Heathcliff. Total side note, I understand exactly what the fuck they're talking about. Heathcliff fucking sucks. Anyway, um, they often feature domineering, rude, taciturn, and belligerent male love interests who are critical and sometimes cruel to the heroine. And in the paranormal romance genres, and new adult literature in particular, this has morphed into a more sinister figure, the possessive-aggressive alpha male. Uh, they go on to say, A lot of romance literature focuses on fantasies, which have their basis in some very heteronormative and sexist concepts. This raises a question. Do women, or the presumed femme-coded reader, enjoy them because they enjoy them, or because this is what society has told them to enjoy? Is the romance genre actually just reproducing and perpetuating this harmful societal influence rather than promoting sexual agency? This question that they raise in their article can actually... 110%, which they do explain, link to Akatar and Sarah J. Mass's writing in general because what else is Sarah J. Mass doing if not contributing to heteronormative and abusive stereotypes? Yeah, promoting 
abuse. Exactly. Um, because let's keep that in mind of this alpha male stereotype here. And let's go in, finally, into Rhysand. We talked about him quite a bit already, but now we're really going to get into the meat of his character. And it's this is where shit's going to get real. Let's start. How was Rhysand introduced? Like, what is he like in the first book? And how did he change in book two? Who wants to take a crack at this one? Okay. <laughs> He's introduced as an antagonist figure who extorts power over the main characters. Um... He changes in book two to the love interest, the mate, the love of her life. I don't know how we made that jump, but... He's more the brooding, silent, predator type that just stands yeah. in the corner and stares at her. <laughs> that yeah. was very horrible and also abusive, but because now we're doing the Tamlin effect, he's the love of her life and yeah. he's a great guy. Yeah. So after the Tamlin effect takes place in A Court of Mist and Fury... Rhysand suddenly becomes this feminist, quote-unquote feminist, not really, um, archetype where he is suddenly this person who's all about choice and free will and acknowledging that Feyre is a person, not an object. So everything Tamlin did... Basically the opposite of everything Tamlin was turning into. Yeah, so yeah. every bad thing, every good thing Tamlin does, she <laughs> takes it, puts it in Rhysand, and shines light on all of it. Why don't we compare and contrast Rhysand and Tamlin right now? Okay. Right. Oh, but they'd be the same. <laughs> exactly. So what are some things that Rhysand did that Tamlin did? Abuse. Physically hurt her. I'm gonna go first. Okay. You mentioned it. Um, in A Court of Thorns and Roses, both for both for both guys, Tamlin uh, bites Feyre. She didn't want to sleep with him because he was somebody's sloppy seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so he bites her. <laughs> Um, he also restrains her to the wall. Exactly. Um, Physically hurting her that she has bruises. Yeah. She tells him to get off. He says no. Um, so there's assault. Uh, now what does Rhysand do that's very similar? Mm, glad you guys asked. So in Under the Mountain, which is coded for basically when they were all being tortured by Amarantha together, like besties they are. Trauma bonding. Trauma bonding. Um, Rhysand... Sexually assaults Feyre. Okay. And I'm actually going to bring up... Uh, who wants to basically describe how he assaults her? Like, what does he make her do? Uh, dance for him. Yeah. He also drugs Like, sexually. Her. Yeah. So she, like, drugs... Or she gets drugged by him. He puts her in, like... Like, literally, like... The attire where she's basically wearing nothing. Um, he, like, puts... Like, he covers his hands in paint. He puts he, paint on her to essentially... Yeah, all over her body. Yeah. Say, oh, well, I'm not gonna touch you. But in another scene, it's shown as the paint is moved. So, yeah. obviously, his hands are being touched on her. But yeah. he's saying a different thing. Yeah. There's actually a quote from the book that we're gonna... I'm gonna read right now that really enhances the meaning of this. And we're gonna talk about why this is abusive. Um, at this point, Feyre's talking to Lucian, or I'm sorry, that's wrong. She's talking to Rhysand, and I think she's confronting him about the fact that he touched her. So, I lifted my brows in silent question. Feyre, for cauldron's sake, I drug you, but you w don't wonder why I never touch you beyond your waist and arms? Until tonight, until that damned kiss, I gritted my teeth, but even as my anger rose, a picture cleared. 
It is the only claim I have to innocence, he said. The only thing that will make Tamlin think twice before entering in a battle with me that will cause a catastrophic loss of innocent life. It's the only way I can convince him I was on your side. Believe me, I would have liked nothing more to enjoy you. There are bigger things at stake than taking a human woman to my bed. <sighs> so... You can see the snake look on my face. Exactly. <laughs> um, I wish I wish we had a camera right now so everyone could see the looks on our faces right now. We're all very peeved. This <laughs> pissing contest gets in the way of him sexually assaulting her. Exactly. Not even. His pissing contest extends to the fact that he would rape a woman just to say, well, ha, I have claim over her. Yes, exactly. ownership again. Exactly. That idea of ownership. And it gets worse when we find out Feyre and Reese and her mates because it's like, oh, well, that ownership is actually coming true now. So that's fucking yeah, great. Yeah, so essentially when they're mates, they think they can do whatever they want. Exactly. It's kind of well, like it's the whole thing. stated in their customs that, like, Oh, like, they can't be held accountable for their toxic and crazy actions when, oh, they're mates, because you can't get in the way of that. They act like feral dogs in heat when they're mates. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's kind of fucking gross, actually, so, um... It's like excuses boyfriends make when their girlfriend doesn't want to have sex with them and they keep pressuring them into it. If no one really gets how that's sexual assault, like, I'm afraid to tell you all that, like, it's sexual assault because Feyre was drugged. She didn't have any consent involved from her end into what Rhysand did. And actually, um, in that same Tumblr article that we are reading from, they actually make the connection between that scene in Akatar and another in Akimath, um, where in Akatar it's non-consensual, but in Akimath it is consensual. In Akatar, it says this. They stripped me naked, bathed me roughly, and then, to my horror, began to paint my body. The two high fae ignored my demands to be clothed in something else, but held my hands firm when I tried to rip the shift off. What follows is a party where Reese forces her to drink what is essentially drugged wine, and then she dances for him in a scene that is analogous to date rape. She blacks out and wakes up with only the smudged lines on her body to tell her what she has done, or rather, what has been done to her. Her agency is ripped away from me away from her, I should say. And then Feyre asks Lucian what happens. Lucian says, I don't think you want to know. And then she's, at, then she's looking at the smudges of the paint of, who's touching, of who had touched her. On her waist. Exactly. Yeah. And she's like, who did that to me? And then, of course, he tells her it was recent. Yeah. Um, and then that confrontation happens where she's like, why did you touch me? And he goes, well, if I wanted to rape you, I would. Like... Or something like... Yeah, he gets very defensive that she's accusing him of touching her when she didn't want to. Mm. And he just automatically outs himself. Well, it could be worse. Yeah. I could have done this. Yeah. I could have like, fully went in on you. Yeah, and he's like, I would have too if you weren't Tamlin's. Like, like yeah, if older. he wouldn't have come after me for if there wouldn't have been consequences. Yeah. Yeah, just like Tamlin says, I can't be held accountable for my consequences. Yeah, my actions. Yeah. In A Court of Mist and Fury now, we have a similar thing going on where Feyre has to put on a show with Rhysand, kind of to impress the people in the Court of Nightmares, mm -hmm. which, for those who don't know, is basically, like, Rhysand's, like, fucking, literally his court, that's his it. His court, yeah. Yeah. So, she's basically kind of dressed the same way, just without the paint. She's so. dressed... I'm pretty sure she's still drugged, isn't she? No, no she's not drugged this not time. This, not this time? Mm -mm. Um, it says, I leaned a bit more against him, my legs, wing 
ever so slightly. Why'd you stop? I became the music in the drums and the wild. Dark thing in the High Lord's arms. Yeah. And then he says we were his distraction. You and I put on a good show. The person of Howl's Moving Library on Tumblr basically um, are saying that this latter scene in Accordamus and Fury is arguably a dominance fantasy um, that is carried out with consent of both parties. Um, and the first isn't, that's abuse. We want to make that distinction clear because that gets compared a lot. <laughs> Literally, like, it's made clear that Farah did not ask for that to happen to her in the first book, but in the second book, she has her own agency here. Um, her own choice, if you will. Um, that he always brings up constantly. That's your choice, Farah. <laughs> Why don't we, uh, let's take a break real quick. We're gonna give time for commercials, and then we'll be back for the last bit of the podcast. For our listeners, take a moment to listen to the following ad about the Hudson Valley Book Trail. Have you been wanting to tour through the Hudson Valley? Aren't sure of what to do there? Follow the Hudson Valley Book Trail, coveted by the Montgomery Book Exchange in Montgomery, New York. It features over 30 small bookshops spanning from Nyack to Chatham, and the list is ever-growing. Meet the people behind our favorite stores, buy merch, books, and even a book trail tote bag. It is truly the best way to connect with bookworms, but also a marvelous way to support indie stores. You can keep up with the book trail on Facebook on their page, Hudson Valley Book Trail. Again, their page is called Hudson Valley Book Trail. Now, let's get back to the episode. We left off um, with the idea of free will and of feminism, specifically uh, what Rhysand calls his free will and feminism. What's his iconic saying, guys? It's, it's your, your choice, Feyre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's your choice, Feyre. So basically, I kind of saw this recently when I was reading Kingdom of the Cursed, where Wrath has the same ideology, where he kind of believes in the idea of choice and free will. But like the difference is that Wrath actually like believes in that and executes that and makes that plausible. And he tells Amelia the truth about things. And you know who doesn't? Resound. Resand. He hides things. Exactly. He likes to keep some secrets. Exactly. He doesn't like to be honest with Feyre about the truth of uh, <laughs> a lot of things. One of which being um, in A Court of Silver Flames, which we touched on already, um, him hiding her fatal pregnancy from her. Which is like, first off, that's her fucking body. That's her body. And you want to hide that from her. What does that do? Like, what good comes of hiding that? Nothing. Literally nothing. So, she doesn't have the womb for the kid, and he doesn't want to even tell her that she can't safely have this kid and could potentially end up dying, and he just accepts that. Yeah. Not even just her dying. The child will die, too. Yeah, he just accepts the fact that they both will die. And, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah, so he tells himself that he's just gonna kill himself afterward. He literally pulls like an Edward Cullen. And let's just also talk about Sarah G. Mass's idea of feminism also because there's this quote that somebody from Reddit uh, said and it's that Feyre is made because of Rhysan. It's because of Rhysan she learns to fight her abusive ex and gets out of the abuse because of Rhysan that she learns to read, to master her powers. Um, total side note, we did not mention this, that we did not mention that Feyre can't read. The only thing I want to know is, they said she was born wealthy, so why the fuck do they never teach her to read? Yeah, that's fucking weird. 
Big yeah. plot hole in my in yeah. Sarah Dumas's part. Also, you ask she me. only has one hundred percent painting. She paints and she paints and she paints more. <laughs> yeah, like there's like this overactive feminism, where, um, it's kind of like the opposite of toxic masculinity. It's like mm-hmm. toxic femininity, where like women, the women have no agency. They're very traditional conservative. Well, conservative as to, a, to, to a an point. Ex- to a yeah. point. Um, in terms of, like, conservative of what they do and their roles in the household, um, matters a whole lot more than the agency that women should have. Nesta, she wants to be a powerful woman, she doesn't have a man, she wants to go out and use her body for whatever she wants to use it for, she wants to drink, she wants to do all of that. Favor doesn't like that. It goes against everything she goes has. Goes against Daddy Resand's housewife values. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Resand, the god of all gods. <laughs> but like literally, that's it. Like it's because of the fact that um, Nesta doesn't comply to Resand's demands that she is suddenly she doesn't listen to him. That she's a woman the way that he wants women to act. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like just like the Illyrian women. Yeah. They cook, they clean, they're not supposed to fight. They do chores all day. Yeah, yeah their wings get clipped. Yeah, but the men can keep their wings. Mm-hmm. And also, fight and have if their they agency. Have wings, so what's that equivalent to? If the guy's wingspan is equivalent to his dick. Yeah, you know what, that's maybe why they get clipped, because they don't like knowing <laughs> the idea. They don't like the idea of... They can't have orgasms, because the men can't give it to them, yeah. so they clip off the wings. Yeah, they can't have a dick analogy if they don't have a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, I don't get that. They can't have a wingspan, because then it means that the women might have power, and the men don't mm-hmm. like that, so... Resan has this idea of, like, we'll make decisions together. Uh, that's something that this person in the Reddit thing, like talks about um but that's all because Resan allowed it and gave it and so what what's being shown here is Resan very much is in control of everything and Feyre really isn't because let's be honest if they break up what does Feyre have nothing nothing like she has nothing she um, has everything she has nothing exactly her and she, Elaine have a curb I just think that's interesting that people want to be like oh he's such a feminist icon but it's like no, like if he really was, like he would have given her more of a choice and accepted her side of things. Exactly. Not even that, she would have something of her own. Exactly. I also like another thing is if like he had more agency to give Feyre more of a choice, he would have told her about the fact that like her womb couldn't support an Ilrian baby because her womb can't hold the wings. Um, which makes no sense. Like, wouldn't it be like she can't support like, birthing an Illyrian baby. Yeah. Like, she she's literally growing the child. But, like, so she how can't... how can it not fit in there? If she's growing it. I think what you meant to say, Sarah J. Mass, is that she can't push it out without ripping herself apart. Yeah. And bleeding out and dying. Like... But what? C-section? I think, like, he tried to get the midwife to do a C-section, and it, some shit about it being an Ilrian baby that it's impossible to do a C-section. That's Why? so fake. Yeah, it makes no How sense. How does that affect them simply cutting her stomach? One of the things that, like, I just want to touch on this, about this whole, like, Feyre not being able to have, like, the baby thing, because I want to touch on the way that he treated Nesta for telling Feyre that. 
Because it's like, why are you getting mad at your sister-in-law for telling Feyre what should have been told from the beginning? Yeah. And also, as soon as he knew. As soon as he found out, he should have talked to her. Because it's like, bruh. Like, for someone who says, oh, it's your choice, like, we can make choices. We're equals. We're equals, like. Okay, but why wouldn't he thought that maybe Feyre had some kind of thing to contribute to, like, a solution? Yeah. He just immediately dismissed that she'd have nothing to add, like, no way to fix it. Oh, like, yeah, and also, like, if C-sections exist in Valaris, and so do abortions, she could have had an abortion. But he didn't want to give her that choice. Exactly. Well, Isn't yeah. That, like, He'd rather her die than give up abort his fucking fetus, I guess. Exactly. He and can make more. Come on. Only credit I will give to any man in the Akatar series is Cassian. That's it. Like, out of all of them, what? I actually you like him. Lucian dirty like that? <sighs> Alright, Lucian too. But I actually, in terms of love interest, I actually like Cassian as a love interest. Well, poor Lucian ain't got or no time I can't time make up my mind if I like him as a love interest or not. Sometimes me and him be going to bat. Like, I only really like Cassian because out of all of them, he is, like, he reminds me of Hunt. They're both extremely, like, nice and respectful. I like, know literally, she did Hunt dirty. She did do I Hunt don't, dirty. I don't know. No, but, like, I know everyone else likes him, but I'm just like, Hunt, nah, he ain't it. <laughs> He's... He just wants to watch TV. I don't know. I don't. I don't <laughs> he just fuck wants with to watch his sunball. I don't. Damn. I don't fuck with him. I don't know why. I like Run. Maybe because his name yeah, is Hunt. I do. Even though I know he's probably a toxic he's piece going of out shit. To I do. I do. Oh, mess with Run. Him. Yeah. I don't think. No, Run doesn't become one. I don't think. Really? Yeah, he stays pretty chill. Dude, he's like Chris Motionless. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not, go. not you comparing him to Chris Motionless. Nah, nah. Chris is not a horrible person like that. But oh my god, I meant looks, not person. No, the fact that they're like he's got piercings and he's a rocker, and I was like, well, he's hot then. Oh my god, we gotta go. We gotta. Go. <laughs> oh my god. Maybe that's what it is. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Back I, to the topic. And I tell you that I skipped over most of SJM smut. So, I'm like, sorry, the but fact you, that you, you said milking him like a fucking cow. I read no, some of the scenes yeah. just to, like, see what they were about. Look, <laughs> I can't be funny. do that shit to myself because half of her smut was, like, a fucking face hand and, like, real alien. And I was like, yeah. Bleh. I'm going to list out a bunch of characters from Sarah J. Mass's stories that I, like, from Akatar specifically, I guess, that I think are safe in my book. Nesta. Lucian. Cassian. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I mean, I did like Amran. Oh, but... Yeah, that went, that went down. Amran is dead to me. No, yeah. same. Asriel gives me the ick. Yeah. More? Fuck off. I'm sorry. Like, Blondie herself, like, can, like, <laughs> die in a ditch. I don't care. Like, and I'm sure we're offending a bunch of Akatar stannies right now because we're like... Yeah, fuck these characters, but genuinely more is, like, the worst bi rep I've ever seen in my no, life. Literally. So, But genuinely, I'm sorry. Like, get better tasting characters. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I don't really care about Nesta and Cassian that much. Um, I'm sorry. I don't care about Lucian at all. <laughs> oh, damn. I don't. Honestly, though, I, I will say this. I think Nessian, or whatever the fuck it's supposed to be called as a couple... We're better than most of what she came up with. Yeah, no, like, that's... And I it, didn't even read their book. And more spice. Yeah. Oh, there's so much no, spice. No, no. Spice. No, the spice can Dude, die. She, spice, she like, milking them like a cow. I want no part of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is spice, like, every... 
almost every 20 pages and didn't or so. you like bring up one part because you were like hey you want to hear something fucking gross yo i was just <laughs> reading that out about how like she was like stroking him through his pants and like, yeah, yeah and he i danced. remember that he come to his pants and he's like oh god and i was like what the oh my god i just opened up to a scene <laughs> oh, look. all right let's end this episode by reading one of these scenes right oh god this is on page 290 in the hardcover it was torture a special kind of torture to have nesta kneeling before him with his cock in her mouth and hand and not be able to roar with pleasure but then she stared at him through her lashes and the sight of her with his cock between her lips snapped something he didn't care that they were in the dining room that a wall of windows and doors lined half of the space and anyone flying by might see cassian slid his other hand into her hair fingers twining into her braided coronet and he thrust up into her mouth she took him deep and moaned so loudly it reverberated along his cock and straight into his balls <laughs> they tightened further and release gathered in his spine a scorching knot that had him arcing into her mouth again he was utterly at her mercy nesta moaned once more a soft encouragement and cassian needed nothing else gripping her hair her scalp Holding her in place, he thrust and he thrust his hips. She met him with each stroke, mouth and hand working in unison, until the slick heat of her, the teeth that sometimes grazed him, teased him, the tightness of her fist, they were unbearable, were all he cared about. Cassian fucked her mouth, and her moaning had him deciding he'd fuck the rest of her too, strip those pants off her and drive into her so hard she'd be screaming his name to the ceiling. He made to pull out, but Nesta refused to move. He growled, his fingers clamping on her head to still her. I want to be inside you, he managed to say, his voice like gravel. But Nesta looked up at him again through, from under her lashes, and he watched his length disappear into her mouth. His tip bumped against the back of her throat. Oh, gods. He clenched his teeth. I want to finish inside you. Nesta only huffed a laugh and sucked him down so deep that he couldn't stop it, couldn't stop the release as she slid her other hand into his pants and cupped his balls, squeezing softly. <laughs> Cassian came with a roar that shook the glasses on the table, arcing up into her as he spilled himself down her throat. She weathered it, weathered him, and when he'd stopped shuddering, she smoothly, gracefully slid her mouth off him. Nesta held a stare while she swallowed swallowed down every ounce of what he had spilled into her mouth, and then her lips curved upward, a queen triumphant. Cassian panted, not caring that his cock was still out, slick and leaking, <laughs> only that she was mere inches away from him, and he was going to return this particular favor she'd given him. Nesta rose to her feet, eyes flicking to his cock, the heat in her gaze threatened to burn him, and the scent of her arousal wrapped itself around him and dug its claws in deep. Take off your pants, he growled. Nesta's smile only grew. Pure feline amusement. He'd fuck her on this table. <laughs> right now. He didn't care about anything else. About the common space they were in, or Eris and Brylin and Kashir and the Dread Trove. He needed to be inside her to feel that hot tightness around him and claim her as she had claimed him. Nesta's fingers slid to the buttons and laces of her pants, and he shook as he watched them free the top button. 
Steps scuffed down the hall, a warning from someone who knew how to remain silent. Cassian stiffened, then shoved his aching cock into his pants. Nesta heard the sound and moved a few feet away, refastening that top button. Cassian had just finished setting himself to rights when Azriel strode in. Good evening, his brother said with a grating <laughs> level of calm. What I'm going to say when I finish this book. It was torture. A special kind of torture. <laughs> <laughs> how did my, how was my reading? Good. Yeah. Yeah? Funny. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Especially Asriel. <laughs> You're like, good evening. <laughs> That's exactly how I pictured him saying it, too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so on that note, thank you for tuning in. Thank Gen you. Jen and Britt. Yeah, I... Ha, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I think this talks about our personalities perfectly. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that dramatic reading of mine. Um, we'll see you in the next one. Yeah. 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 Woo!